Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I am Ben Flanagan, and we are back with a bang this week. We've got a really special episode for you. We're going to talk with the host of one of the most popular, if not the most right now, popular wrestling podcast in the world, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. We're going to talk to Conrad Thompson, who is based in Huntsville, Alabama. That's right. It's true. He's a mortgage lender in Huntsville, Alabama, and he is the co-host of, of one of the most popular podcasts in recent memory. The podcast is still going so strong. It is so good. Everybody out there knows it. If you're a wrestling fan, if you haven't, if you're not a diehard listener, you've definitely heard of it and you're just going to get around to listening to it at some point. But we here at Rammer Slammer are huge fans of the podcast. And he also hosts What Happened When with Tony Schiavone, the former WCW and WWF announcer, which is also really, really good. And you should check them both out right now on iTunes. But we got a chance to go up to Huntsville and visit with Conrad at his mortgage office there in Huntsville, Alabama, and sit down and have a conversation with him. And it was great. Conrad was great. Super nice guy. Super knowledgeable about wrestling. His fandom goes back a long way, sort of parallel to ours here at Rammer Slammer in terms of when we got started watching, how we got started watching. So that was really fun to learn. But this guy's knowledge and fandom is really on another level, as you've probably heard by now with his podcasts. He's a great host. He puts a lot of work into the research and, and just to the shows in general. So we talked to Conrad about a pretty wide range of topics, including his podcast, how he got that started, growing up in Gunnersville, being an Alabama football fan. So we cover a lot of ground just in terms of his wrestling fandom, his philosophy on pro wrestling, what he would ask Vince McMahon if he could get him on the other end of a microphone, what people in WWE have told him about his podcast or the feedback they've given him about something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. So again, we cover a ton of stuff. It was a blast to talk to him. We're really appreciative. Check out his podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Conrad. And just a quick note, we had to cut the in-person audio interview a little bit short here and switch to phone later in the day. So you're going to hear an abrupt cut from in-person to on the phone, but it should be pretty seamless. So check out the rest of our content involving Conrad really soon on AL.com. We got some great stuff on video with him too, answering some fun questions. So you'll find that on AL.com really soon. So in the meantime, enjoy our interview with Conrad Thompson, host of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. You're from Gunnersville. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Gunnersville? Yeah, we moved to Gunnersville, I guess, when I was 12 years old. So I, I did middle school and high school there, and I loved it. You know, it's uh, it's small town Alabama. You, you've got all the, you know, big city stuff that you need, not too far away from Huntsville. But if you want to just slower pace of life, it's hard to beat Gunnersville, man. And what a picturesque city right there on the lake. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And high school life was good for you? Yeah, yeah, I had a great time, and, and class of 99 was a great year, uh, great school, great teachers. I couldn't recommend it enough. I mean, I hope every kid has a high school experience like that. Did you play any sports? 
No, I, I dropped out of football in eighth grade. My parents put me in it when I was in kindergarten. So I played football from kindergarten to eighth grade. And by the time ninth grade rolled around, I was just burnt out. So at what point do, do you remember wrestling becoming a part of your life? I guess 1988, uh, we went to visit my grandfather. We were living in Prattville, Alabama at the time, and as we made our way north to visit my grandfather in Albertville, at the time, everybody went to the video store. You know, that's not anything people these days do, but once upon a time, you'd go rent videos, and so they rented me the WrestleMania four two-tape set, and it was a, a way to pacify a little boy for a weekend, and it worked, and I was enamored with wrestling, and I guess like most kids... I kind of faded out, and I didn't watch in 92, 3, 4, 5. And then one day in 96 in the fall, I'm flipping through the channels and see Hulk Hogan in all black with a black beard, and I stopped like, hey, what is this? This is not the yellow and red I'm used to. And it was the NWO, and I was back in. Wow. So I think we had similar experiences. It's like I go to the video store with my grandmother, and I – I see the wrestling section and I see the cover of the boxes, you know, like the wrestle various WrestleManias. And I just think that looks cool. So I see one. I love it. The next time I go, I'm just like locked in the whole time. Like what, what enamored you as a kid? Do you think about pro wrestling? Well, I think it was just a larger than life presentation. I mean, I was a big fan of like GI Joe and he man. And I mean, I guess all the kids our age were, and you know, this felt like the real life version of that. And so it didn't matter to me if it was quote unquote real. Neither were cartoons. You know, neither was G.I. Joe. But it didn't that didn't impair my enjoyment. And you know, I, I was off to the races. They had larger than life characters, they were larger than life individuals. I was all about it. You know, the face paint, the crazy hair, the muscles, the entrance music, the storylines. I mean it, it's it's like a male soap opera now, but back then it was almost like uh, you know, a live action cartoon. What did your parents think of wrestling? They probably thought it was a phase I would grow out of, and I did. You know, in 92, I guess, when I, I was 11, I just kind of put it down, and I was done. Uh, and then I, I found it again, um, as I said, with the NWO, and, and I had a good run there for several years, and then again, it just kind of wore off. I, I stopped watching sometime in, I guess, early 06, and then was out until 12, and then was back in with both feet. So would, would like getting them from the video store be the manner in which you would watch pay-per-views growing up? Uh, did you order them at home? Did you watch them with your friends or family? Yeah, we started with videotapes for sure, and I was watching the free TV. And the first big event I remember were like Saturday night's main event, and it was such a challenge to me as a kid to stay up until 10.35 at night because it came on right after the news here in, in I guess, at the time, Prattville. And that was really, really tough for me to do, but it was such a, a larger-than-life presentation. So I would record those, and then at the time, they were only doing a handful of pay-per-views a year. So I think the first pay-per-view I remember ordering would be WrestleMania five, um, and then SummerSlam 89, and then Survivor Series 89, and then Royal Rumble 90. And by Royal Rumble 90, I was all in. Um I mean, I remember that like it happened yesterday. And so all of 90 really, really sticks out. But 89 is when I first kind of doubled down and fell in love. Are these costing about like 30 bucks a piece back then, 40 You know, I wasn't paying the bills, so it's hard for me to say. <laughs> Not your problem? I think it was probably like 1495 or oh, wow. 1995 And I know eventually it did get to 2995 For most of my life, pay-per-views were 29 But I think they probably started at like 19 and then 20 and then 24 95 
Wow. So it sounds like you had good parents who, who let you watch this stuff and bought these pay-per-views for you. Yeah, you know, they were really supportive. They bought the uh, action figures for me. I had tons of those Hasbro action figures and, um, you know, little posters for your room and stuff like that. They were very supportive. And my dad worked with a guy who was more of an NWA fan. So once I started to watch some of that, um, we kind of had a deal. We would record the WWF pay-per-views live, and my dad would take the tape to work the next morning. And whenever there was an NWA or WCW pay-per-view, his coworker would tape it, and then he would bring it to tape the next morning for us. So I watched the NWA pay-per-views a day late, and I watched the WWF pay-per-views live as they happened. So have you ever at any point thought that you were in too deep with pro wrestling, or has it always been the goal to get as close and intimate with the business as possible, its history, and those who worked in it? Yeah, um, you know, I, I do think I'm kind of in too deep now because – you know, obviously I'm not uh, inside the business and I'm not a, a performer in the business or anything like that, but I am close enough now to a lot of the guys and I've been fortunate enough to kind of see behind the curtain a little bit to realize that things that we as fans thought was a much bigger deal is really not that big of a deal. So just, you know, I was at a Raw when somebody's family had a medical emergency and all of a sudden at the last minute one of the key guys who's figured in the Raw had to leave. And when Raw happened that week, you know, people were kind of panning it as being not a good Raw. But I saw that, you know, this top guy who was scheduled into, I don't know, six segments on the show is now out. And that changes everything because, you know, it caused a trickle effect. So the whole show was different. And it wasn't because of bad writing or poor planning. Real life got in the way. And, and sometimes we as fans... You know, and I've been guilty of this. I would say, oh, that's stupid. Why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? Well, because that wasn't an option. And and now that I have a little more access, I can see that things that I thought didn't make any sense make a lot more sense. Did you ever try or want to work in wrestling in any, in any capacity? You know, it's never been something that I thought you could make any money doing. I know that sounds kind of laughingly, but, uh, you know, the – the reality is, what would I do? You know, I mean, I enjoy doing mortgages. Uh, this has been, you know, the way I've provided for my family for a long, long time, and I don't have any sort of illusions of trying to be a professional wrestler and never considered that. And I don't know anybody making money as a wrestling promoter, you know, not enough to be a real sustainable income beyond the WWE and, I mean, I guess New Japan. But you know what I mean, like just a startup, like that doesn't really exist. And you saw the trials and tribulations that happen with TNA and it just feels like something that is very very difficult to do and and the odds are kind of stacked against you so as close to being inside the business as I'll ever be as, as a podcaster I enjoy it being my part-time hobby but I don't know that I would want it to be a full-time living to try to go promote or, or be a performer well, and you, you never really talk about the current product on your podcasts. It, it makes sense that you wouldn't, but do you ever want to express your thoughts on today's WWE or otherwise in podcast form? Do you currently watch, and if so, what do you think of it? No, I do watch. Uh, my daughter is a huge wrestling fan now, and, and the Divas division becoming you know, the women's division and that whole women's revolution thing really got her attention and uh, her interest is at an all-time high right now. So I do wind up watching Raw and SmackDown mostly for her. You know, when I don't have her, I usually just DVR the shows and fast-forward to whatever the Internet's raving about, and my friends smarten me up on. I'll slow down for that. 
I, I do enjoy the product, but I feel like I'm at a place in my life where, uh, you know, I, I just don't enjoy it the way I, I might have as a kid because my kid thinks this is the greatest thing ever. Like, for instance, the when Naomi made the women's belt glow, it was kind of universally panned online by a lot of smart fans who thought that it was ridiculous. But, I mean, I imagine if I saw the million-dollar title at 36 years old, I would say that's pretty dumb, too. But when I was a kid, man, that million-dollar belt was everything. And so to my daughter, that glow belt is pretty awesome. So I think those are the parallels, and I think you've just got to um, watch it through those eyes. And when I go back and really watch the stuff that I grew up on and really love, you know, even the Attitude Era stuff, there's only a handful of things on each show that I still like today. But at the time, I thought it was all great. So if you're not really digging everything in the product, it's because it's just not for you. So focus on the stuff that, you know, you enjoy, just like you would in any other, you know, like The Sopranos is one of my favorite TV shows ever. But every now and again, there'd be an episode that was just kind of a waste. And and I feel like that's just common. It can't be a home run every time. Well, I mean, do you think that your, I guess, sort of waning interest also reflects what WWE is putting out there? I mean, is the product in a in a lesser place than it used to be? Well, I mean, I guess that depends on, on what you define lesser. You know, at the end of the day, I understand it's the wrestling business, and top-line revenues are high, higher than ever. Now, you know, we could argue net profit and all the other things, but domestically, business is down. Globally, business is up. And to my kid, wrestling right now is better than any other time in history. And I think so much of what we all love is what we grew up on. You know, to use a basketball analogy, older guys say, oh, no, Michael Jordan's the best basketball player to ever live. Younger guys are going to say, I don't know, LeBron's probably better. I think LeBron's better. But I think that question just comes down to years. You know, like, is Tom Brady the best of all time? Or, you know, is it Joe Montana? Or is it somebody, you know, from a different generation? I think it's just a generational thing anything i don't think that there's a problem with creative and i know that you know lots of people disagree with that but wrestling is the only form of entertainment that i know people really armchair quarterback as if it were a real sport you know when when alabama is is out there on you know fourth and short and the crowd is chanting go for it go for it go for it go for it uh, if they come up short, everyone in the crowd turns around and says, why'd they go for it? I mean, they should have just punted the ball. What were they What were they thinking? We had three points right there. We should have just kicked the field goal. It's easy to armchair quarterback football, and I think it's easy to armchair quarterback wrestling. But other forms of entertainment are not like that. You know, very, I don't think I've ever been to a movie where someone stands up and yells, this is BS. The writer should have had open the middle door. You know, they're not using Kevin Spacey to the best of his abilities. I mean, that's just ridiculous, and and that's kind of what I I kind of view in my attitude towards the armchair quarterbacking because I I think that the talent right now is as good as it's ever been, and you could say well there's no larger than life characters like the Stone Colds and the Rocks, but when we had those, people would have just died to see Kobashi and Masawa in the ring, and we've got AJ Styles, we've got Nakamura, we've got you know, the cream of the crop in the company right now, and yet for a lot of folks it's still not good enough. I'm not exactly sure that at this point a lot of wrestling fans don't get their enjoyment just as much out of analyzing the why and the what more than anything else. 
Well, sort of on that note, Conrad, in, in talking to Bruce Pritchard and Tony Schiavone for so many episodes now, diving into such specificity of people, events, and moments from the past, what has it told you about the present? Do, do you see any of the greatness of the past or, or its opposite even in anything WWE puts out there now? It makes me appreciate um, the uh, the amount of work and man hours that went into all of this, and and I guess the the realization that so much of it that we view as like being a really big deal is just really not that big a deal. It, it kind of humanizes a little bit more when you hear a guy like Tony Schiavone, and I'll lay out an angle that he called for weeks or months, and he'll say, "I don't even remember that." And, and I don't think that's an indictment of Tony Schiavone not caring as much as it is it was just something that happened on a TV show that he provided the soundtrack for 20-something years ago. And I think we as fans, we tend to romanticize some of that stuff. But again, I think a lot of that is because it's what we grew up on. And if you grow up on it, you feel this emotional connection to it. And... I think as time goes on, I become more and more of the understanding that the performers didn't have that same level of emotional connection to it that we did. Well, Conrad, if you were a wrestling promoter, I don't know how into fantasy booking you are, but what would you like to see between now and WrestleMania in New Orleans coming up? Like, How would you sort of frame it? How would you book, I guess, the top of the card you know that's hard to say you know i know it's not popular but i think you've got to have roman reigns and john cena and, and brock lesnar figured into really big matches um in a perfect world i think you know that you could find some sort of way to do something different and creative and i would try to put ronda rousey against charlotte as a co-main event and i would probably have my main event be john jones versus brock lesnar and that's going to take, you know, a lot of wrestling fans and, and upset them because I'm putting two outsiders in there. But both of those seemingly are done with the UFC, at least for a while. And that would be an opportunity to have a real attraction, as Bruce likes to say, and, and get some new eyeballs on the product. And I think, you know, if you wanted to build towards a shield three-way, I think that could be huge. Um, I think people are ready for that storyline, and I think it would be a cool way to uh, to get them all into a featured spot. And if you've still got that same momentum going that you've got right now, it feels like it could be a good time to put together Braun Strowman and John Cena. Interesting. I didn't see the John Jones angle coming. So, yeah. Uh, so you're a big Alabama football fan. How do you balance that fandom with pro wrestling? Is there any crossover ever make more time for one than the other well you know alabama always got the majority of my attention until podcasting has seemingly taken over all of my free time you know between the mortgage deal being my full-time gig and that's you know a job and a half in itself and then the research and the recording and then the promotional aspect of the podcast it pretty much dominates so i'm a little more selective now with with what games i go to uh, but yeah, it definitely has affected it in terms of attending games, but probably not as far as my enjoyment. I mean, I'm always catching them just sometimes from my den as opposed to a seat back. <laughs> okay. So if, if you could put 
Vince McMahon on the other end of the microphone with you and you could sit down with him. Like, are there any pressing questions that you have sort of in your back pocket? Like, if I could sit down with Vince McMahon, here's what I would ask. What would that be? Well, one of the things I'd want to know is I'd want to know a lot about the financing deal that he put together to have the first WrestleMania happen. You know, we've all, as wrestling fans, heard that Vince put it all on the line. And I've also heard that at the time, Vince was playing a little bit of a shell game with the banks in terms of, he would get one loan and then deposit it in multiple accounts but on different days and get statements based on those days to essentially make it look like he had much, 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 much more money than he actually did. It was really the same amount of money in multiple accounts. And he sort of bet it all on that, where if it wouldn't have went the way he hoped, then maybe he would have been completely kaput. And I'd love to hear that story in greater detail I'd love to also, you know, navigate the whole Hogan and Macho Man situation. Two of the biggest stars ever, and Ultimate Warrior, because I'm I'm a super fan of all. But I would have loved to have had more detail on the falling out with Hogan, where Hogan was kind of winding it down. What exactly happened with the Macho Man for him to be essentially, you know, blackballed, or so it would seem from the company for so long. And then the Ultimate Warrior, you know, it was kind of the hokey pokey with him for several years. And that was when I was at the height of my fandom as a little kid. So those are the questions I'd probably be most interested in. But, you know, he's a fascinating guy where you could pretty much pick a conversation and, you know, pick a topic and have one hell of a conversation. It's a shame that I don't think we'll ever get the real story. Uh, and Bruce's podcast is probably as close as we're ever going to get because Pat Patterson is getting up there in age, and it doesn't look like he's going to write another book. He's written one, but that's probably it, realistically. He's not going to be doing any shoot interviews, and there's no chance he's doing a podcast. And we know Vince has nothing to gain by doing that, but if you could have a real tell-all, you know, where you could cover the Jimmy Snuka stuff, you know, from way back in the day, you could cover the steroid trial, you know, all the way through and tell the truth, you could cover, you know, some of those more controversial topics, the Ring Boy scandal or any of that stuff. We'll never get those stories. You know, those are just, they're just going to die now. And that's a shame because I think we as wrestling fans have a thirst for that next little piece of information that's out there. But those are going to stay with Vince forever. Hey, maybe we'll see a little bit of it when they finally make that pandemonium script into a movie. Did Did you ever... Have you read that? No, I've only heard like one podcast do sort of like a read through of it, and it's absolutely bonkers. It's just, you know, that's the thing that's disappointing to me is if it does get made, it's going to be so inaccurate that I don't know that I would be able to enjoy it. You know, I don't mind if I'm listening to a shoot interview or an interview with a guy or a podcast, and I know that someone is kind of full of it, but it's another thing to know that this production company maybe had an opportunity with both the script and the finances to to tell the real story and instead just kind of make stuff up that that would be disappointing if it really gets that far so with bruce do you ever get genuinely frustrated with him or or is it just heightened for the sake of the podcast no i get gen- i get legitimately frustrated and let me tell you what the source of my frustration is you know, I have to do a lot of research for the show, of course, and I, I do. I put a lot of thinking into, hey, what are we going to put on the poll? 
And then once that starts to reveal itself as to what the winner will be, I really double down with the research. So I'm reading books, I'm watching shoot interviews, I'm scouring old newsletters, and I'm putting together a format of sorts that's going to be, you know, probably 35 to 40 pages long of, of detail and how I want to go and which direction I want to go and what all I want to cover. And that takes significant time because I'm doing that in my free time after hours, after work, on the weekends, at night. And I need Bruce to show up on time and make sure his mic sounds good. And when I ask a question, don't give me one-word answers. And sometimes I feel like Bruce is answering a deposition as opposed to having a conversation. And it's obviously it's a different format, but in sports talk radio, if you ask a coach, hey, so uh, are you guys feeling pretty confident about your third down situations this Saturday? If he says yes, then he doesn't really want to be there. And I, and, and I don't have Bruce here at gunpoint or against his will. So when I'm asking, is this what you were thinking? If he just says yes or no, then I get very frustrated. I need you to give me more than that. I've put so much time and effort into the selection process for these, this topic and the direction with the questions. And all I need you to do is sound clear and give me an answer more than one word. And sometimes that proves difficult. And when I get three or four or five of those in a row, I lose my cool and I'm okay with that because I feel like, hey, man, I'm doing all the heavy lifting over here. Can you help me out? We're supposed to have a show together, not me asking you yes and no questions. We could do that by email. So you see it as a conversation. I mean, is that how you would describe the format of the Pritchard podcast where – like I, I, we, I was talking to you earlier and I said that sometimes it can come off as an interrogation because, I mean, you've done so much research and in, in, in some respects you might have an idea of the answer that you're going to get unless Bruce can sort of take it into a new direction. And sometimes, like you said, he's, he's pretty mum about a lot of, of what you're asking him and he'll give you those one-word answers. How, how would you describe the format? Is it a conversation or is it more like a Q&A? It's it's two guys sitting at a bar um, telling stories. And it, it would almost be like, let's imagine for a minute you went to a card show. And you see Nolan Ryan there. And Nolan is winding down and you're the last person in his line. And you just think, you know what, I know what to know, but let me just let me just take a chance here. Mr. Ryan, can I buy you a beer? If Nolan said yes, what would you ask in your time right then? That's kind of my approach towards the podcast is, hey, let's just have a conversation about me picking your brain about what happened when, and that was the genesis of it. But in time, the show has very much evolved to where it becomes almost like a debate format, and a lot of that is because of my source of my material, and that's somebody that Bruce doesn't really love, and that's Dave Meltzer. But Dave Meltzer has kind of been the voice of the fan for a long time, and, you know, if if he says something's good, then it is. And if he says something's bad, then it is. And we just kind of take his word for it. And his opinion carries a lot of weight. So when I phrase my questions or position my uh, dialogue to where it feels like it's kind of toe in the Meltzer line, that irritates Bruce. And I'm not interested in him being irritated. I'm interested in having an entertaining show. And if that means... You know, him just being combative for the sake of being combative or giving me just yes or no one-word answers, 
then that's not going to work. So I, I will be more pointed if we go down that one-word answer route just to try to pull some information out there that we've never heard before because that's really what the trick is, is to get Bruce to open up about things that he might not normally want to. And I, I know you guys are friends, but, I mean, you also have rare access to his brain in terms of his memory of, of all this WWE stuff, and it's it's rare access that, that so many fans uh, are, are really lucky to have. When you guys do sort of get into it and you get frustrated, does he reciprocate that frustration? And, and, and is there ever any sort of, like, fear that there might be a threat to just shut the whole thing down if, if, he's, if, if he feels like he's being interrogated in that sense? No. Uh, we've never had that. We've never clipped it. Now, don't get me wrong. When I first started, you know, hanging with Bruce, Bruce would still be guarded about what he would say or wouldn't say. And when we first started doing episodes, Bruce would be somewhat selective. But as time's gone on, Bruce has learned that he can trust me, and that if he doesn't want something out there, I won't put it out there. But I am going to push him to create the best show, and he's just got to trust me. And there's almost this secret society in wrestling that's been that way since the beginning of time where information is power, and you don't want that information getting out there because not everybody should or could have it. Uh, and so it became almost like this, this privileged situation. And I, I'm not supposed to be privy to this, much less am I supposed to bring in all of the listeners as well. So that took a little bit of a, a time for him to sort of kind of get over, but I think eventually he realized, hey, that's what makes our show good. Hey, that's why people continue to listen. And so now at this point it is, you know, and this is probably not the the right thing to say here, but it is a little bit of a job and that his job is to be forthcoming. Now he can still be selective when he feels like there's a moral principle here, he shouldn't share this. He's convey he's betraying some serious confidences. And then there's others where he's just trying to be entertaining and it's up to us to kinda you know, decide which is which. Well, and we, we barely touched on this earlier, but I'm, I'm interested if you can share some specific instances of feedback on the podcast that you've gotten from anyone within WWE. Um, a, a higher up with a, with a very high position once corrected me um, about the situation with CM Punk and John Morrison and when the whole Benoit situation happened who was going to get the ECW world title next and why, and whose idea it was. I was corrected pretty sternly about that. Um, we did get a few calls over the Sunny episode where maybe we had stepped on some toes, uh, and we did that accidentally. At that point, Sonny's book had been out for well over a year, I believe, and I read passages from her book. Well, apparently like 2,000 people bought bought her book and 700,000 people heard the podcast. And at that point, I didn't really understand or appreciate the size of the megaphone that the show had. I just assumed because I had read the book that it was common knowledge and everybody had heard this story or read the book or whatever. But there was a story in particular that WWE probably wishes wouldn't have been out there and I got multiple calls about that and we had multiple discussions and we didn't delete it and we didn't clip it but I didn't consider the idea that the reason the company didn't want it out there wasn't necessarily that it made the company look bad but it potentially impacted the real life of one of their performers and that's something I never intended to do 
was to hurt a man or his family or his relationship or his kids or any of that. So the show is supposed to be fun, and it is supposed to be honest, but it's not supposed to be something that causes families real pain. And that was something that was a growing lesson for us. I mean, we never anticipated that our podcast would be as big as it is now, much less have any sort of impact like that. So moving forward, we have been careful to be more considerate in situations that could be sensitive to a family dynamic. Well, my last thing for you, Conrad, I just want to ask you about sort of how you balance your time in terms of the research that goes into this both podcasts and and also watching wrestling and, and maintaining your fandom and, and balancing that not only with your, your family life, because like you said, you have a daughter, you're, you're raising a child and, and you're also running a mortgage company and, and you put so much time into that. What, what is, what is that challenge like? And for lack of a better term, how, how do you sort of wrestle with that aspect of your life and in, in balancing your personal life and what, how much time and work you put in to the wrestling podcasts? It's not balanced at all right now. It's way out of whack. I'm doing too much. Um, Occasionally when I'm overwhelmed with with real-life work and I have to travel, I will call in for some backup, for some research help here or there. But I know exactly what I'm looking for. It'll be copy-paste the WWF section of The Observer from these four issues and, you know, delete the stuff that you don't think is relevant to this topic or whatever the case may be. But... Um, I probably have about eight hours a week in research for Bruce and about four hours for Tony. So I've got about 12 hours of research. And then, of course, the actual shows are about five hours. So all told, between the editing and posting, it's about 20 hours. When you throw in the social media, that's probably another 10 hours, so we'll call it 30 hours a week on top of a regular full-time job and a real life, it does get out of hand. The normal routine, though, is we post the the poll on Friday at noon for Bruce's show. So usually by Saturday afternoon, I have a good idea as to what's going to win, and I'll start doing some research in that direction. And we try to take Bruce's show on Wednesday nights when we can, Thursday nights when we have to. And if there's some sort of weird situation, we have had a few shows where we literally taped them uh, Friday morning at 6 a.m., just in an effort to get it up at the last minute and make that noon deadline. Tony and I tape whatever he's available, and that's a little crazy right now because he's on the road for baseball, so he may be gone for a 10-day stretch, and we have to do it based around when there will be Wi-Fi available at the ballpark for him and there's no game and he has no other duties. So if the game pitches at 7, then we could start at 4. Uh, but if it's an afternoon game, then we've got to do it first thing in the morning. And so there's that sort of juggle situation you have with Tony because of the baseball aspect. But the research for Tony's show doesn't even remotely compare to Bruce's because we do so much detail on Bruce. And with Tony, it's much more um, – the Tony show is more about me and Tony, Tony and I than it is about the specifics of a 1990 1990- you know, contract with the Ultimate Warrior from November. You know, we'll get that granular with Bruce because that was kind of his job. But with Tony, it was much more how did you enjoy working with instead of what did Paragraph 7, Clause B have in Undertaker's contract in 1994? 
Well, Conrad, like I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm not alone here. The podcast is both podcasts, to be honest with you, are real. I think they're really unique and special, and give fans something so raw and brand new to sort of uh, grab a hold of, and, and everybody finds it so entertaining, and everybody can tell that you, you really put the work in, and, and to make it as good as, as it is. So. Thanks for doing it. Uh, Congrats on the success of the podcast, and and thanks for making time for this. Man, it's a big deal to me that you guys even want to talk to me. You know, I'm just uh, a wrestling fan. I'm not in the business. I I make no bones about that. You know, I'm just just like everybody who listens to the podcast, and I, I do have a big hand in the shows, but I really consider myself the first listener because I, I want to hear what they're going to say just as bad as you guys do, and I hope that people are digging the format. I do think it was a good idea, and I hope it's one that can help shape the future of podcasts a little bit. I love the idea of there being interactive polls for fans and letting the fans be involved and kind of take ownership of the show. And uh, all of that has been really, really fun to see how it grows. And, and I hope that other podcasts participate in a similar fashion because I think that's what makes our show so good is – we try to give the audience exactly what they want instead of let's see what ideas we have next. Let's just ask, hey, man, what are you guys looking for? We'll do that. And and I think that if the WWE did more of that, I think fans would be happy. I mean, they're signing the guys everybody wants, but if there was a way where you could kind of uh, book the territory, so to speak, the way we're booking our podcast, uh, there's no telling what wrestling's future could be. Yeah, I mean, y'all are killing it. And I, even during your, again, to go back to the Richard Deitch podcast, you heard him mention how he he's pitching at Sports Illustrated, sort of like using the format in in a sports capacity. So, I mean, if Sports Illustrated is just such a, such a longstanding, well-respected publication like that, which is always looking for new ways to innovate and to, to find alternative storytelling – out there if they're if they're thinking about sort of ripping ripping the the format moving forward you can imagine how much further the the influence might extend well and it's funny to think about you know that's just from a fan in Huntsville Alabama that that may have come together and you know that to me should be a motivator to anybody who's listening or or participating in this what we're doing right now because if you have an idea and you say, hey, why don't they do so-and-so? Well, maybe they should be you. Maybe you should just do it. I'm not a professional broadcaster. I've never been to broadcast school. I've never had any sort of pointers or tips or tricks. I didn't go to journalism school. I, there's no reason I should be doing this. But I am just because I did. And, and, and that would be my advice to any fan who's kind of on board with this idea and thinks, man, I'd like to do that. Well, hell, what's keeping you from doing it? Just do it. And have some fun with it and, and have an end an end game in mind and there's no telling what could happen. Awesome. Well Conrad, thank you so much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. Hey hey, it's Conrad Thompson from Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard, and you're listening to Rammer Slammer right here on AL.com.